Key Aero, your aviation destination. Historic Aviation. Hello and welcome to the Fly Pass podcast for episode 32. We're joined by photographer Darren Harbour, a specialist in classic aviation photography and a familiar name with many Fly Pass readers. Hi Darren, how are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. Uh, nice to be uh, involved in this podcast and uh, hopefully uh, you'll find it interesting. <laughs> I'm sure we will. I mean, looking outside today, the, the weather, I think, you know, you kind of dodged a bullet by not being out anyway. So hopefully we've got you on a good day. <laughs> well, I was up yesterday, so I was up photographing a Harvard and Hurricane yesterday afternoon. So uh, trying to jump on any opportunity and uh, the weather's actually been a bit hit and miss at the moment. But you're right, today's not great, but yesterday was actually ideal. I mean, obviously you've been shooting for Fly Pass and various other titles under our umbrella for quite some time. So you'll be a name familiar to most people and the hurricane was on the latest cover, actually, the night hurricane. But how did you actually get started in the first place? What's your background? It's a complex one. It's not something which is, uh, is easy to explain, but I'll try my best. I mean, I've always been interested in old aeroplanes uh, when I was younger. I guess probably sort of seven or eight. My dad used to take me to air shows. Um, really got into aeroplanes at that point. Um, got my first camera when I was about 12, I guess. Um, started taking pictures at air shows. I just got more and more into it. Um, I think the old aeroplanes started to be something which I got probably more interested in than the fast jets, and that kind of developed. Um, I wanted, as most children do, wanted to join the RAF as a pilot. That wasn't going to happen because I basically went through Biggin Hill twice and got offered air traffic both times and decided that's not what I wanted to do. And being immature at that time, you think actually it's the only thing you want to do and you don't consider the other options. I probably should have gone in and uh, done that and and found my way in the Air Force that way. But uh, as it turned out, I ended up working for a um, photography shop, um, Techno, um, and then ended up working for Dixon's Group after that, and then working for a photography magazine. So it's always been kind of um, progressing. And in the background of doing the um, photography magazine and working for the camera retailers, I was continuing to do my aviation photography. Started doing a little bit of air-to-air um, initially with Carolyn Grace with her Spitfire, which was a great way to start. And uh, that kind of opened the door, really. Um, it must be 20-odd years ago that I last did that. And as I started to develop more and more contacts, which is the key to it, really, it's building the relationships because you don't get these things by just saying, can I photograph your Spitfire? Because the answer will always be no. They have to know who you are. So that takes years of kind of networking and getting your work out there. Having magazines um, support you helps significantly, of course, because the more images you get published, the more people kind of see your work. And over time, it just starts to get uh, easier. I say use the phrase easier carefully. It's easier to start arranging things because more and more people start to be interested in you photographing their aeroplanes rather than you chasing to do it the other way around. The last um, nine, ten years now, I've been running my own business and that's enabled me the time to kind of concentrate on building those relationships more. And when I first started my business, I was doing family portraits. I was doing a few weddings. Um, just to get the income in, because aviation photography wasn't my main subject at that point, although I was desperate for it to be so. I just gradually over time have developed the business more, so I pretty much now only do a little bit of commercial work, and the rest is aviation. I'd probably say 80% of my work is aviation now, which uh, I think is something which uh, has always been the dream, but never thought it would ever be a reality. But but the reality of, of organising an air to how I go about doing it, it, it is contacts and networking, and a great example is this last 18 months where we've been unable to kind of get out and meet with the people that you would normally see day to day. There's not been as much kind of organised as there normally would be. And, and ever since lockdown's kind of come to a, I say come to an end, it's not really come to an end, but it's become more fluid to be able to do things. Uh, I've been so busy the last three or four months because we've been playing catch up and all the things that I probably would have been doing over the last 18 months. So 
really the, the way to organize these things is um, you find out what airplanes are being restored, you know what subjects are flying, and that's the start. So I target the airplanes, which I think will be interesting to a magazine, of course, because I need to earn money from them. So there's no point choosing something which someone's already shot or has been done to death, for want of a better phrase. I always look for something interesting. And that's about, you know, knowing the market, knowing who's out there doing stuff. And and again, those relationships by going to the hangars and meeting with these people, photographing the projects as they develop. And I have a very close relationship with Shuttleworth, for example. I I live just down the road from Shuttleworth by choice. I chose to do that because obviously Duxford and Shuttleworth are local to me where I am. And so by going there, and uh, Bristol Fighter is a really good example, the one that's in the current issue. I photographed the Bristol Fighter from the minute it went into the workshop and um, obviously been keeping in touch with the guys. Um, I do a lot of work for them. And so off the back of that, they look after me by making sure I get to do some air-to-airs with them. The thing is that it's not just about the work I'm doing in the background. It's they know the quality of my work will deliver the images that they need, not just for a magazine, but for publicising the collection. So Shuttleworth will use those Bristol Fighter images to promote air shows, promote products in the shop, for example, they'll end up on biscuit tins or whatever else it might be. But they know but by giving me an air-to-air that they can use the images and make money for themselves. So it's a sensible decision for them to be able to make because they think, well, actually, we're not just saying to someone, come and have a play with our airplanes in the air. They say, well, commercially, it's viable for us too as much as it is for me. So things like that help get you work. Um, someone like the Battle of Britain Memorial flight with the Black Hurricane, it's taken me a long time to get in with the Battle of Britain Memorial flight. They are very picky about who can do pictures of their airplanes. Totally understandable because they're incredibly rare aircraft. They're a military operation. They like things done properly. So they expect a professional photographer to turn up with a professional brief, a professional conduct during sortie. And over many years of doing sorties, you start to understand how that works and how to do a professional brief. And, and when you sit down in front of someone like the commanding officer of the Battle of Britain Memorial Flight, when you talk to them, they, they know straight away that you know what you're talking about. And they know that if they put an aeroplane up, you're going to deliver the goods. And they've seen my, the history of my work. So it's kind of quite um, virgin territory for me, the BBMF. I've done I think, four shoots with them now. But every time I do something for them, then it increases the relationship. It opens up more doors with them. Because, for example, the Black Hurricane that's in the current issue, they absolutely love the photographs. They absolutely love the facts on the cover. And those sorts of things help all of the wheels for future photographic opportunities. So it's about relationships is the key answer to the question. You build the relationships, you show the standard of your work. And as a result of that, people open doors and you start to get more people that are interested in you shooting their aeroplanes. So it's hard to get into. I think anyone that wants to get into air-to-air, I would never discourage it. And there's, there's always a scenario where you're always looking over your shoulder because um, you know someone younger and, and more kind of active is going to be coming up behind you. That's the case in any business in any scenario. You just hope that you can keep your own standards up long enough to keep getting some work when someone else is coming up behind you. And there are photographers that have gone before me that I'm sure have been through that process too. So it's difficult, but people will get into it. And, and there are some great young photographers out there that I know of and uh, I regard as friends, and and they will be the future air-to-air photographers because they're working on those relationships now. I mean, I know when I was getting into journalism, I was told, oh, you'll never break into specialist titles. It's it's impossible. You know, people don't tend to move around once they've got a job, you know, that they do, that they like. But as you say, if if you work at something and you're passionate about it, then it becomes something, doesn't it? You know, it's it's not, for you, it's not just a means of paying the bills. It's something you're into, and then that's develop from there absolutely and your your fine owners will will look for that is they want that respect and passion because they've been out and there's a few which maybe have made investments for making money but not very many most of them own these airplanes because they love old airplanes 
And Peter Eichmann's a great example. Peter Eichmann absolutely loves his aeroplanes to death. And, and if you speak to him, you know the passion, you know his desire to have the authenticity put into an aeroplane. And when you sit down and you talk about doing an air-to-air with him, he wants that aeroplane to be pinged out in a way which says, hey, this is a great aeroplane, and that he wants the story to be told about what that aeroplane did. So if you show that passion back because you naturally have it, again, they engage with you. It's, it becomes something which is a common interest. And it's the same sort of thing as um, I had a situation with a, a national newspaper with one of the owners, and I won't give the details because it kind of drops too many people in it. But the national newspaper approached um, a particular owner and said, um, we want to photograph your aeroplane, we want to put it in the newspaper. And the owner said, well, no, you can't because I want someone that actually knows what they're doing doing it. So they put them in touch with me. As a result of that, I got the photo sorty and the paper got what they wanted. But the owner was only interested in working with someone that cared and was interested by aeroplanes and had experience in shooting air to air. So, uh, you know, these things are, it's important to, to, to make sure you respect the aeroplanes. And, and every time I go up, I mean, you'll, you'll know this yourself is that working alongside old aeroplanes and the more you do your role, you'll kind of become in contact with them and you'll find that when you walk into a hangar, you still have that buzz. You still have that tingling feeling. When you look at a hurricane alongside you and an aeroplane and you're photographing it, yes, you're totally focused on photographing it. But you can't help but think, my God, there's an aeroplane above the sky, above the clouds, sorry, which uh, is a, an amazing aircraft. And, and I know so many people on the ground will be thinking, God, I wish I could do that. And I always respect that. I think that's really important to respect that there are so many people out there that are jealous of what you do, but jealous in a nice way because they kind of they, they respect the fact that it's obviously you've worked hard to get there. And I get some lovely comments from people to say, you know, they love the, the way I take images and uh, it gives them a chance to see the aeroplane in the air, which they wouldn't otherwise get a chance to do. So uh, I think that there's that kind of um, doing it for more than just me. I don't just do it because it's making me money. If I did it for making money, I wouldn't be doing it because it doesn't make enough money to, to make me very rich. But it makes me enough money to pay my bills and it makes me excited about my passion for aviation. And I think that's the important bit. Yeah, I mean, personally, I can say that whenever you get a photo shoot in, it's always a real thrill to open that and see what images have been sent in. So, I mean, for you to take those sort of things, it's, as you say, it's a real honour, isn't it? And it you obviously still get a buzz from getting those images. Totally. I mean, you, you, can't, you can't explain the buzz you get from doing it. And even if it goes slightly not to plan and, uh, you know, you don't get the weather that you'd expected, you still get excited about it. You still try and deliver the best you possibly can because you want the images to sort of sell the aeroplanes as in selling them, but sell the character of the aeroplanes. I think that's a really important phrase, actually, is I want the images to capture the character and the, um, the style of an aeroplane. So, a great example is um, if uh, I photograph um, something which has a sea connection. For example, I, I photographed the Hawker Fury with Richard Grace um, a few years back. The Hawker Fury is obviously the um, prototype for the Sea Fury. So I thought, well, why would I not want to go and photograph it over the sea? So I spoke to Richard and said, well, can we do it? And uh, Richard, quite rightly, wasn't too keen to go too far out to sea because, of course, if the aeroplane has an engine failure, you need to get back on the land. So we literally just went off the east coast and uh, managed to get some pictures of it over the water. And that, to me, is important because you're not just taking a picture of an aeroplane, you're trying to capture it in the environment it would have been seen. And we're very fortunate here in the UK. I get to photograph World War II aeroplanes over the area that they served. So if you photograph a Spitfire or a Mustang in America, then you're photographing it over ground that it never really served over. Whereas here, this is the countryside they took off from, this is the countryside they served over. And that's really special. Avoiding more modern wind farms and solar farms that seem to be growing as like no tomorrow. And there's, every time you go up on a photo sortie, you find another one that's appeared or a new road that's appeared. So you're always trying to search to avoid those because you want the images to kind of 
not distract from the aeroplane. I mean, that's a side of it I hadn't actually considered, like the background that you're shooting against. I mean, so you're struggling to get somewhere that's actually a clean, nice backdrop for you to take your pictures. Absolutely. And, and that's, that's the really important. I mean, you work together very closely with the team of people involved. So the guys that fly camera airplanes for me, and I use a number of different people. Jean Munn, for example, who's the um, chief engineer at Shutterworth. Um, Jean and I fly a lot. Jean was flying with me yesterday. The more I fly with a particular person, I have a certain range of pilots I will fly with. They understand what I'm looking for. So Jean will, if I'm saying to Jean, okay, can we start a left-hand turn? He'll be looking down at the ground and say, well, actually, no, let's wait a little bit because if I fly a bit further over to the west, then actually it's a clearer area. And when I start the turn, you're not going to be over that town. And I'm not necessarily looking at that. I'm looking at the aeroplane that's alongside me. So I'm calling what shot I want next. And he's saying, well, actually, no, I'll position you in the right place because he understands what I'm looking for. I mean, he flies old aeroplanes himself. So he also knows that when he's a subject aircraft, he wants a picture that says, this is over a nice environment. You don't want a picture over a town. You don't want it over a main road. You know, a picture of a Spitfire over the M11, for example, just looks wrong. There's no way it would ever have been that way. But you see it so often with people that do take pictures, and it's kind of like, why have you done that? It just takes a few minutes just to reposition and take a picture that's somewhere more interesting and more relevant to the aeroplane. I mean, in a way, it's kind of like you're a latter-day sort of first world war observer. You know, you've got that relationship with the pilot, and then, you know, you're doing your thing behind him. It is. It's a team, and it applies to all the aeroplanes involved. If you've got, like yesterday, we had four people involved, myself, my pilot, the pilot of a Harvard, pilot of a Hurricane. All four of those people are involved in that photo shoot, and they all have a responsibility to making sure it comes together. So me and the, the camera aircraft, we are making sure we get in the right place, making sure we get to the right height so we're avoiding looking for sunshine, getting above cloud if necessary. That's a, that's a relationship that's going on all the time. So the conversation in the air is constantly about us talking about the weather, talking about what's going on, talking about the environment, talking about what shot's next and whether we're going to reposition. Jean's looking out for things like, for example, he's checking the airspace to make sure that we can climb up to a certain height in a certain area, make sure we're not flying over a certain restricted zone, making sure there's no other traffic around for us. So all that's going on. I'm looking out for traffic as well, even though I'm looking through the camera. It's amazing how many times looking through the camera, I still see other aircraft around and I have to call it so that we know that that traffic's there. Because everyone's doing their thing, but there's a responsibility for everyone at the same time to be looking after the whole formation. Because when you've got three or four aeroplanes flying around together in the sky, there's a lot going on. And you get a lot of GA aeroplanes kicking around and some of them try and take a look. That's happened in the past. And you have to encourage them to kind of keep clear in a nice way because, you know, you, you do have people trying to follow you around and it's kind of like, yeah, <laughs> that's not a good thing to be doing. But it's generally the team thing is absolutely critical to making a shoot work because if you work together as a team, you stick to a brief, which is very clearly agreed up front. Everything comes together and everything works. And sometimes you have to, on the fly, make changes to the brief, but they're safe changes. They're things which are still the same brief, but maybe over a different, slight, slight different location because the, the weather may dictate that or certain things are happening on the ground that we weren't expecting. You know, there may be, for example, a fire on the ground and there's smoke drifting across an area and you need to therefore adjust. So all those things are happening in the air all the time. So it's never a, um, you, you never switch off on a sorted. There's always stuff going on. I mean, have you got any idea of how many hours you must have logged, like oh, actually God, doing yeah. air to air? <laughs> no, I haven't, no. I actually started a spreadsheet to try and work out how many air to airs I've done and I got to something like 200 and uh, I haven't finished the spreadsheet yet. So, uh, I've done a lot of hours and thankfully I love flying. So uh, there's, there's always an element of, um, you know, once we've done a sortie and yesterday's a great example, we were flying in the T6 yesterday. So that's a great airplane to fly in. So 
as soon as we'd um, called index, which is basically when the other aircraft had disappeared off, and we'd do what we called um, go off slot. So we left the photo sorted to head back to our warden. We have a bit of fun, you know. Um, I hold on to the cameras, and JM enjoys himself up front, and we you know do a bit of arrows and stuff on the way back. So uh, I love that element because it's not just about going to do a job. You kind of relax afterwards by having a bit of fun in the aeroplane on the way back. So. Uh, yeah, flying is, is something which is in my blood and I think always will be. And uh, I haven't learned to fly. Some people always say to me, why didn't you learn to fly? Because I don't need to, really, because I fly so much anyway. And I get hands-on whenever I want to. So I've got so many friends that fly. I don't really need to go get a license unless I have the desire to do it on my own, of course, one day. It's like owning a Rolls Royce and having a chauffeur. I mean, why drive yourself? <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't use that phrase, particularly not to the guys that fly me around. I think they'd be slightly upset if I referred to them as a chauffeur. <laughs> I mean, have you got any sort of highlights? So, far? I mean, is there anything you've like been really, well, obviously you're wowed by anything you're, you're shooting, but is there anything that particularly jumps out? Yeah, all, all of it jumps out. <laughs> Every, every photo sortie has something about it which is special. Um, every aeroplane has something about it which is special. There are, I mean, photographing the ultimate warbirds um, with uh, you know, the, the P-47 Mustangs, Spitfire and Bouchon together. That four ship is probably the best thing I've ever done because the pictures came out amazing. It was a tough photo sortie because I was shooting through Perspex, which is not ideal. You don't want to be shooting through Perspex unless you have to. But the pictures came out amazing, and uh, you know, Matthew Boddington, that was flying the RV for me for that sortie, did a really good job of getting us above the clouds, finding uh, you know the right place to get the shots. The, the, the four chaps in the fighters were absolutely bang on, as, as they always are when they fly formation. So things like that you remember. But there's some very special aeroplanes. Photographing Hurricane R4118, for example, is probably the most iconic warbird out there because of its battle with Britain history. I photograph that a few times now, and I never get bored of photographing an aeroplane because I absolutely love it. I think it's got so much history. It's a great aeroplane to photograph. Hurricanes are my favourite aeroplane. I photographed pretty much all the hurricanes that are um, airworthy in Europe. There's only one which I've not yet photographed, which I'd like to be able to do. There's another one inbound coming in from Australia, so obviously I'll be trying to catch that as soon as I can because hurricanes have always been my favourite aeroplane. I was born on the 15th of September, so Battle of Britain days. So to have a, a synergy with Battle of Britain aeroplanes obviously works. Also, my initials DH go kind of works with the Havilland. So uh, I guess I was always uh, aimed to be doing this. But uh, reiterate, all sorties have something in them which make them stand out. Yeah, you know, there's always a picture in a photo sortie, which I think glad I got that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're talking about shooting through Perspex. Do you do a lot of open cockpit as well? Is that, is that how it Wherever works? you can, absolutely. I mean, with the Harvard, you've got the advantage. And the T6 I use, which is owned by um, Kennet Aviation, and they're very generous, the owner of Kennet, um, Tim Manor, very generously allowing us to use the aeroplane. And uh, it's a great aircraft because it's a gunnery um, training platform. So the rear seat spins around. So you open up the canopy and then you've got a completely open rear to the aircraft and you spin the, t- the seat around and you're facing backwards looking out over the tail with nothing in the way, basically, other than the tailplane and the tail itself. So that's a great camera aircraft. Depending on the speed of what you're shooting depends on the aeroplane you choose to use. So if you're shooting something slow, I might be using something like uh, Miles Magister. A Piper Cub is a very good camera ship for slow-moving aircraft. I've got a Bird Dog, again, owned by Kennet Aviation that they let me use. One of the aircraft I use is a, a Dornier 28, and that's a great aeroplane because it's got a, a cabined rear fuselage, in other words, somewhere with four seats in it, and it's got space I can move around. It's got a sliding open window that I use, and the funny thing about using the Dornier, of course, is that um, when you're flying over southern England being followed by a Spitfire or a Hurricane, the irony of being chased uh, around the skies in a Dornier whilst being hunted down is, is something which doesn't get lost on the, the pilots every time we do it, and uh, everyone finds that quite amusing. 
Uh, but it's a great camera airplane. It, it's a very stable aircraft. Um, I've used the Jet Provost to photograph something like the Vulcan, for example, in the past. So you really you, you use whatever aircraft is suitable for the scenario you're shooting. A Harvard's a great airplane for shooting warbird. A little bit slow compared to what a warbird would ideally like. But you have to manage the expectations of the subject aircraft's pilot because if they you don't fly a Spitfire or a Hurricane round at slow speed, it's not a good thing for the engine. So you're conscious of that. So you may remember some of the um, fly alongside um, companies use like helicopters to do it and, and Dragon Rapids, for example. And yes, they're great. They give people an experience of seeing an aircraft alongside. But if you see the angle of attack for the Spitfire or Hurricane, you can see it's trying to go as slow as it can. And poor old engine's probably not working as it should be. So try and discourage using aircraft which aren't compatible with the subject because that's important to look after the preservation of the subject aeroplane. And that's important because it costs thousands and thousands of pounds to look after an engine in a fighter. So you have to consider that. Not a bill I have to pay, but it's a bill someone has to pay if it all starts to get um, you know, hard work for the engine and it ends up causing the engine to go wrong sooner than it might otherwise have done so. I mean, what sort of speed do you reckon that they're, they're flying on? So, like, say the Hurricane, for example, what, what sort of... Um, we're working knots, so you're looking at 120, 130 knots for a Hurricane as it's kind of comfortable speed. It would prefer more. Spitfires like a lot more. Mustangs like a lot more again. So a Harvard is pushing it for something like a Mustang. Um, it's okay for a Spitfire, but for a Mustang, it's pushing it. Bouchons like to be a little bit faster. So when you're pushing out a Harvard, you're at full, full chat, as it's as it called. Um, you're really kind of burning a lot of fuel, which is another thing I have to take into account because I'm paying the fuel of a camera ship. Um, the faster you're going, the more fuel that's going. So when you're photographing an aircraft, you don't want to be trolling around the sky for an hour. You want to be doing it for half an hour because um, every time you're putting the power in, it's costing more money. So uh, it's about um, making sure everything's safe. So you, you put the power in to make sure it's safe, but uh, also you, you're taking into account the, the, the speed that's relevant to the aeroplane. And Something like a jet, you can shoot a jet. I shot the Meteor out the Dornia, for example. Um, that was the NF-14 Meteor, which is um, sadly now uh, grounded at Gruntingthorpe. But I shot that out of the Dornia. Um, Dan Griffiths, um, we talked through the brief, talked about the speeds, told him what we could do. He said that initially we were going to try and do flybys so that I could do the pictures as he flew by, but he formated us and said, actually, I'm quite comfortable with this. I'll stick with you. So sometimes um, yeah, the speeds do work out, but... Uh, the answer, I guess, is try and keep as fast as you can to, for, for the subject aeroplane. I mean, again, that, that's another pressure that you're working to, isn't it? It's not just the weather conditions, uh, but it's the speed and how quickly you've got to get the actual shots. Absolutely. And it costs, you know, I, I think uh, the figures vary depending on who you talk to, but it's four and a half to £5,000 an hour to put a Spitfire or a Hurricane up if you take everything into account. So if you bear in mind I'm photographing a Hurricane or a Spitfire for half an hour, then someone's paying two and a half thousand pounds for that to be in the air. And uh, obviously, other than that, the camera ship costs, if you've got two or three fighters, then the ultimate warbird flights, for example, with four fighters in the air, you're probably talking 20,000 pounds to, to do a photo sortie from their investment. So that's a big investment from them. So you have to be respectful for that. And that's the thing as well, when you pick up a magazine, I don't think a lot of people, if you don't work in the industry, have any idea of what's gone into actually just even getting the cover image. There's a lot of costs involved. There's a lot of time involved as well. So organising a photo sortie doesn't just pick up the phone and say, can I shoot it next Wednesday? It doesn't work like that. It takes absolutely months. And about the Brit Memorial Flight Hurricane is a really good example is that um, spoke to Disco, who's the commanding officer of Battle Memorial Flight, agreed in principle to shoot the hurricane when it was finished. It was being worked on at Biggin Hill, so 
Bigner Hill obviously had a timescale that they were expecting to finish the aeroplane. As is always the case, that timescale gets knocked back as things get found on the aeroplane and it doesn't complete in the time when it's expected. So you set up a conversation and you're waiting for the aircraft to be flown. As soon as the aircraft is flown, you get a call to say, okay, get the aircraft flown now. So we then start thinking, well, when can we do a photo sortie? So the obvious plan is, well, when it transits from Biggin Hill back to Coningsby, we could do it then. So that plan starts to develop and um, then you start talking about dates. Then you find out whether your camera ship pilot's available. You also find out at the time, at the time that the harbour's actually in for an annual. So it's going to be two weeks after that before it's available. So that means you can't shoot on that date. Then when you do get to the date you may have agreed, the weather's shocking, which it was for the first date we agreed. Then there was an issue with the hurricane, so the hurricane went unserviceable. Then the weather was poor for the next date we'd arranged after that. Eventually, we got a date when the camera aircraft was serviceable. Jean Lum was available to fly the camera aircraft. That a bit more if I had time to fit the sortie in and the weather played ball. So eventually these things happen, but it can be on that particular occasion, three months from the time of the original plan to when we actually shot it. And from the magazine's perspective, um, obviously with John's perspective as editor, he's kind of saying to me, well, when are we going to get these photos? When I mean, you said you're going to shoot it. So well, when the weather's right, when everything comes together. And again, you know, three months, he's constantly saying to me, well, should we put it into the next issue? Then I said, well, we can pencil it in, but I don't know. And I think it moved two, three issues before it actually came to fruition. So that happens a lot. And it can be very frustrating. I mean, we, we went to photograph an aeroplane a few weeks ago, and um, I was at the airfield, and we had the camera aircraft out. Um, beautiful day, the, the best possible clouds you could possibly imagine. And then I get a phone call from the guys that are flying the subject aeroplane. They got airborne, the engine coughed, and they thought, actually, no, we're going to put back down on the ground. So we had to bin the sortie on a day that was absolutely perfect because the aeroplane went US, and we're still waiting to arrange for that one to, to happen now. So it's never easy. And, of course, to me, I'm allocating a whole day out for an air-to-air. I can't do any other work those, that day I've allocated. So I have to plan ahead, and, and, and I know that there are lots of days I'm going to expect to work and I don't work. And yeah. that happens a lot. I mean, there's a perceived glamour for people who don't work in um, publishing that it's all, you know, glamorous photo shoots out, you know, sunny days and all expenses paid. But as you know, it's quite often you're standing on a, a very blustery airfield waiting for the weather to change. Absolutely. And, and there's, there's other costs involved. I mean, it's, you do spend a lot of time looking out the window. I mean, Battle of Britain Memorial Flight Hurricane, for example, and because we were meeting in the air, I, I drove up to Collingsby for a day and photographed the aircraft on the ground. So it's not just the cost of doing day of the photo sortie. It's, um, you know, driving up to Collingsby rather than trying to pick up the phone and do it. Driving up, having a meeting with them face to face, driving up and doing the static pictures. Biggin Hill, a great example to do the Russian Spitfire. I wanted to capture the first flight. So we did three or four attempts at going over to Biggin to capture the first flight because for whatever reason it didn't happen. Capturing Pete Teichman's first flight from Biggin Hill again, driving over to Biggin. So I probably did about five trips to Biggin Hill just to do the ground stuff and then obviously doing the air to air as well so the overall cost of doing a feature isn't just about going and spending one day doing it it's probably investing weeks of time planning days of time actually doing photos just to get one feature and then obviously you've got the if i'm doing the words for it you've got the research and putting the words together too so it can take two weeks worth of work in total to put together one photo sortie and as we've already said it's passion isn't it it's something you want to do you know, I mean, have you got any advice to anybody who want to sort of follow in your footsteps or do similar to what you're up to? Yeah, don't give up is the most important thing. It, it's very daunting. It's very um, dis- disillusioned a lot because you feel that um, you're banging your head against the brick wall to start with because nobody will let you photograph their aeroplanes. 
And it's because they don't know who you are and they don't know what you're about and uh, they don't know you as a person. So you have to work really hard. Pressing the flesh is really, really, really important. And the more you do it, the more you'll get to do something. There's lots of people I still would love to be able to do work with and they still don't view me as being the person they want to go to because they've got other people they've worked with in the past. And eventually those people will probably say, yeah, okay, you can do it. But if they don't, they don't. You know, that happens. You just, you have to have quite thick skin as well because, um, there is a, there's a lot of competition and there's a lot of um, negative feedback that you have to kind of get through. I think there is in whenever you're successful in anything, I think you're always going to get negativity because people always kind of want to snipe at you and you have to get used to that. You have to understand that it's going to happen and you just ignore it. Um, you take on board the nice comments you get as being, well, actually, that's what the vast majority of people think. So that's what's important. But you just, you, you have to really work at it. You have to build the relationships. You have to. I've always said to people, if you if you want to get into air to air, then do a fly alongside first of all. For example, the ones you can do at Classic Wings or Big and Hill, even they do things with their air van where you can fly alongside a fighter. Do that first and see how you feel about it. I won't mention any names, but there's a really good friend of mine who's a photographer and is amazing aviation photographer, brilliant aviation photographer. And I kind of saw him as being someone where actually you could potentially do air to air going forward. So why don't you come up on a sortie with me? So I took him up on a Dornia. And he'll know it is when, if he hears this, he'll go, thanks, Darren. But, um, he started to feel ill during the sortie and I was too busy focused out the window. I didn't know what was going on behind. I was talking to him, but he didn't respond. He wasn't answering the questions. And I thought it was a bit odd. So I turn around and I see him. He's just like, not good. <laughs> so, so for him, doing air to air isn't something he's going to run into because he gets hair sick. So things like that, people don't necessarily know until they try it. So it's all very well being a really good photographer on the ground, but. In the air, it's quite difficult. It's different. The other thing which is worth mentioning is that um, if you go off and try and do air-to-air as an amateur, treat it as a very, very dangerous thing because, and and I hate to to, to labour a point, but people die doing this. It's not something which is a safe thing to be doing is putting multiple aeroplanes in the sky at the same time. Um, When I'm in the air, I'm pushing aircraft backwards, forwards, up, down, left and right. And that's something which you learn over time. You have to understand the flying envelope of an aeroplane so you don't put it in a scenario that's going to be dangerous for it. Don't put a pilot in a position where he's compromising his own safety because he's trying to do something which he thinks he's doing the right thing by putting the aircraft in the right place for a photo, whereas in actual fact he might be doing something which isn't safe. So you, you can't just jump into this thing without learning. And I, I've been looking to set up an air-to-air kind of um, workshop, um, which is something which I, I will do. And I'm talking to one of the operators about doing that at the moment. And being taught how to do it, listen to people's advice is really critical. If you're looking to get into it, do a training experience with someone that knows what they're talking about. So you do learn that there are complicated things. Don't fly with anyone that hasn't got formation practice behind them. Because if you just go along to your local flying club and they say, we'd love to get some pictures of Matey Boy flying his Cessna, if you've never flown formation, if they've got no experience flying formation, that's incredibly dangerous. So if you're going to do air-to-air photography, get into it by listening to people that know what they're talking about. Work with people that know how to fly formation so that you're actually putting yourself in a safe scenario. But it's really important that you don't just jump into something which is going to go wrong uh, because the, it will go wrong. And if it goes wrong, then you only get one chance. I mean, you say this is all sound advice to somebody. I mean, is this sort of stuff that you touch upon in, in any of your photography courses? I know I know you offer a range of um, courses online, don't yeah, you? Yeah, the, the photography courses are mainly about photographing aircraft from the ground because that's a, an easier scenario to, to kind of teach, but it's also it's cheaper to, to, to get people to pay to do a course on ground photography 
saves a lot of money because as soon as you get an aeroplane involved, the costs obviously go up significantly. So the, the two types of days I'm currently running, one is a photography training day. Now, the idea behind that is I teach people how to use their camera settings. And that harks back to when I worked for a photography magazine because I taught people how to use their cameras and did um, reader days. And also I reviewed cameras, so I learned how the cameras worked. Um, so I like imparting my knowledge to other people to give them a chance to improve what they do. So the people that come on those days are generally enthusiast photographers that they know something, but they don't necessarily know everything. They're trying to get to grips with their camera settings. They're not quite sure what ISO means or how to set the right aperture or what shutter speed they should be using. So the training days are about teaching them that. It teaches them how to use their camera in a low-light scenario, such as a museum hangar. It teaches them how to photograph an aeroplane static on an airfield. Teaches them how to engage with reenactors to involve them in the pictures, and it also involves the flying elements that teaches them how to photograph an aircraft in the air. So, as a single day, that's a lot of things that we cover, and uh, it's, it's a really good day where where people go away having learned a lot. Even people that work up or, or have had loads of experience photographing airplanes go away saying, "Crikey, I learned quite a lot from that." And I think the ultimate compliment I ever had was um, a chap said to me, he said. Um, so every camera club should have a Darren Harbour. I thought that was a really nice phrase. So I've used that a few times. But it's um, it's just because I I don't worry about telling people how to do stuff. I don't I don't I'm not possessive about that information. Some people are, and um, I think sharing is really important. So if you can teach people how to improve their photography, that's a great buzz. If they walk away learning something which they didn't know before, I, I love that feeling. The other days which I organise are what I call photo days rather than training workshops so the photo days are about setting up photo opportunities for people because again i've been very advantageous in my my career and i've gone to airfields i've seen airplanes parked on the grass i've had people moving them around putting people in front of them and i wanted other people to experience what that's like to put an airplane on an airfield in a nice clear environment and make it look like it's period so i've set up the photo days at various places east kirby i've got one in september with the lancaster and the mosquito I've got a Spitfire Day at Shuttleworth in September. Historic Aircraft Collection, uh, middle of August, I've got one with the two silver biplanes, the Hawker Nimrod and the Hawker Fury. And they're about setting the airplanes up in great scenarios in front of the natural environments on the grass airfield, in front of hangar doors at a period. It's about giving people a chance to photograph stuff as they never normally would get a chance to do. Generally on those days, there's a sit-in or a go-in experience too. So with the, the Hawker Day, with the HAC guys, so the with the, the Nimrod and Fury being photographed, we've got the Hawker Hurricane on the ground that everyone gets to sit in. For the East Kirby Day, everyone gets to go to Lancaster and poke their head inside the Mosquito cockpit. So those added, added extra um, access to aeroplanes which people wouldn't otherwise get. And I, I like to call them an up-close and personal experience day because you get to touch the aeroplane, you get to meet a pilot, you get to photograph it as you never would have done before. So again, it's about just giving people a bit of my world because I think that's important to share it. The air-to-air workshop, which I'm planning, will be a bit more complex. That'll be about photographing an aeroplane from the air, going up in a, an aircraft with me and having uh, a subject come alongside and, and teaching them how to do it. And we talked a bit earlier on about um, photographing through perspex. Some aircraft you have to photograph through perspex, so it's about teaching people how to do that versus how to photograph out of an open cockpit. It's because it's important if you do a fly-alongside experience, you're going to be photographing out of a window. So if someone teaches you how to do that, because there are ways to avoid the reflections, which are very easy. So it's about teaching people that. Again, I don't hide how to do that, because if people know how to do it, why should I ruin someone's experience? If they're spending £800 going to fly alongside something, at least give them a chance of getting a nice picture rather than saying, well, that's something you need to learn in the long run. I'm not going to tell you that, because that's not fair. That's not the way I work. 
That's brilliant. I mean, how can somebody find out more about these courses and about yourself? The best way is to go via my own website because I have an events page on my website and any any of these photo days, I always organise them through partner organisations. So they're organised through Shuttleworth, through the Lincolnshire Aviation Heritage Centre or whatever else it might be. So there are links on my own website that take you direct to those pages where you book it. Um, my own website also has a bit of an overview about um, what those days involved and what the differences are between them. So it's very simply darrenharbour.co.uk and then go to the events page and, and everything will be there. And I update it obviously as and when I, I get new events and they get added on there and next year's events will be added hopefully before the end of the year too. That's brilliant. I mean, I think we could keep talking all day, but I think that's a good place to leave it. So uh, thanks very much for joining us. A pleasure. And thank you very much for asking me to do it. This has been a podcast from Key Aero, your aviation destination. Remember, visit www.key.aero for more of the same. Thanks for stopping by, and we hope to catch up with you again soon.